Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So, this is the first time... Uh, to record since I had to go away for a family medical emergency. Um, I have recorded an episode on Kenyatta and Jack Save the World that explains the whole ordeal. And because I do not want to have to explain it again, I'm going to post that as a bonus episode on this particular channel um, because it is sort of a difficult thing for me to talk about. So, if you want to know where I've been, please go listen to that bonus episode, and it will explain everything. So, moving on. Today, I am solo, and I am talking about, uh, as I normally do on the last Wednesday of the month, I'm going to do an episode on music. And today, I'm going to do something slightly different than normal. I am going to talk about some of my favorite 1980s one hit wonders. Yes, one hit wonders. There are a lot of great one hit wonders that come from a lot of great musicians that honestly have a lot of great music that they've put out. But for whatever reason, the radio stations, the record labels didn't put anything out. It didn't take. I don't know. Uh, anyway, they have earned the title of one hit wonders. And I am going to discuss some of my favorite ones from the 1980s. Um, I'm planning on perhaps later on doing a 90s one-hit wonder episode. And maybe a to roughly 2007 one-hit wonders episode. Because I pretty much quit listening to music on the radio that was on top 40 after that point. So, <laughs> that, that they, I would, wouldn't have any favorites of that. So, anyway... That being said, I am going to go ahead and get started. These are not in any particular order. It's not I like one any better than any others or anything like that. It's just uh, some songs that I happen to like and sort of wrote down. Um, and there are a lot of other one-hit wonders that uh, I also enjoy. Um, let's get started. Leading off is the Canadian band Glass Tiger. Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. That was a song that did pretty well back in the day. Um, got a lot of radio airplay. Sort of the interesting thing about Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone is the fact that Brian Adams does some singing on that, on that particular song. So, Glass Tiger has released five studio albums. They are from Newmarket, Ontario. The band formed in 1983. Their debate album was called The Thin Red Line, which went quadruple platinum in Canada and gold in the U.S. And, of course, the big hit was Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. And let's see, that song came out in 1986, reached the top ten on the U.S. charts, won a couple of uh, awards, Single of the Year, and Most Promising New Group of the Year. However, they uh, obviously became a one-hit wonder, so that did not occur for them. 
And let's see, in 2012, the band toured with the band Roxette. Uh, they were all, they they were not one hit wonders. Roxette had quite a few um, uh, popular songs that had come out, and I guess the last time it looks like they toured was in 2019, and they toured with Corey Hart of Never Surrender fame, which is also a one hit wonder. But that is not a one hit wonder that I am going to be discussing today. I'm just I don't know why I just. Didn't think about that darn song, that pesky song by that feller. I'm not entirely sure how they got Brian Adams, because he was quite big at the time, to do backing vocals on that song. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he owed someone a favor. I don't know. Uh, There you go. That is one of the songs that I just happened to love from back in that day. Another one that I happen to love from that time frame. And this one was tied to a movie, and that is St. Elmo's Fire. Of course, the song is sort of huge. The ironic thing about the movie St. Elmo's Fire is a good chunk of the cast was also in The Breakfast Club, and I want to say those movies came out within a year of each other. So they went from high school students to freshly graduated from college. Which is interesting. Uh, the feller that sings the song St. Elmo's Fire, if you will give me just a moment, because I was not quite as prepared as I thought I would be. The song from St. Elmo's Fire, it was the song got a ton of airplay at that time, was called St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion. And it is sung by the British singer John Parr. P-A-R-R. And... Actually, if you go and find a live version of that, his live voice is every bit as good as the recordio or the uh, recording from the studio. I do not think they had to put a lot of work into altering his voice, which I, of course, always think is a great sign uh, of the quality of a singer. So go and find a live version of that song. You will like it. But St. Elmo's Fire was released on June 23rd of 1985, recorded in 1984. Uh, Let me see here. It's been covered quite a few times, and in the U.S., the song charted. uh, Wow, see there, it went all the way to number one. Number one in the U.S., Uh, which doesn't surprise me because that song was huge. Got a ton of airplay back in the day. Back when your host was a in-shape, muscular football player who wrestled, you know, during football's off-season, uh, unlike the portly gentleman that I am now. But yeah, St. Elmo's Fire was huge. Great song. Um, I definitely recommend, if you have not heard it, or if you haven't heard it in a while, go back and give it a listen. But that is one of the songs on this list that you know, is basically a one-hit wonder, and that uh, I just always have always enjoyed. It uh, brings back fond memories for me, and it's it's just a quality song with a quality singer, and, you know, definitely go and give it a listen. And if you haven't seen the movie St. Elmo's Fire, I would also recommend it in going and seeing St. Elmo's Fire again. Uh, if you haven't watched it in forever. Um, Unlike a recent episode I just did with Kenyatta and Jack Save the World, where we 
talked about some cringy movies from the 1980s. I do not believe St. Elmo's Fire has cringy moments like that in it, like some of the movies that we talk about in there, which is always a good sign when you go back to watch something, you know, 20, 30, 35 years later, and you realize, okay, this movie holds up. It's not cringy, doesn't have bullcrap scenes in it, and St. Elmo's Fire is sort of one of those songs. So, moving on to the next one-hit wonder is the band Modern English and the song I Melt With You. Everybody knows the song I Melt With You because every couple of years it gets used in an advertising campaign in the United States. Uh, It's been used with Burger King. Someone else is using it right now. A lot of time it has to do with cheese or cheeseburgers. However, it is a it's a good song. It's a catchy song. It was quite popular uh, back in the day, in 1983. Holy cow, <sighs> that was a long a long long time ago. A long long time ago. Let's see here if it will talk about. Uh, it's been in a ton of movies too. It's in Grand Theft Auto or video games also. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It was in Not Another Teen Movie. It was in Fifty First. Dates, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Natalie M. Rugula, I probably said that wrong. Uh, she covered it. Bowling for Soup covered it for the 2005 Disney film Sky High. Uh, the cast of Glee sung it in 2014. It's been in the Strangers Thing episode in 2016. And let's see, the highest part that it charted on the U.S. Billboard... Top 100, this is what's kind of amazing is, it actually, its peak position was 78, which is amazing because that song got played all of the freaking time. So that is just crazy. Now, in U.S. rock albums and top tracks, top tracks it reached 7, and Dance Disco, Top 80, it reached 60. Um, but yeah, that is just sort of crazy that... 78 is the highest that it peaked because, you know, in my memory, that song got played all the time. So that is just really, really uh, interesting because I guess my brain just thought that it was uh, uh, much more popular than that. So, well, there we go. I, uh, I apparently made a mistake. And moving on to another song that got a lot of airplay back in the day is by the band Till Tuesday, and the song, um, I don't know why I always, it's Voices Carry. The song Voices Carry. Um, It's also been remade a couple of times. It's sort of a serious song. It peaked at number eight in the U.S., but the song is um, really kind of inspired by, like, a couple arguing and whatnot, and so that's really kind of what it's about and the point is keep it down voices carry don't want the neighbors to hear it's a really it's a really good song and if you listen uh, it does have quite a quite a bit of deep meaning uh, apparently the singer from that Amy Mann apparently she left the band in 1989 and never came back up oh, well i think i realize now why they broke up is what i'm going to say because they all left the band in 1989 but till Tuesday, and let's see if it talks about anyone on here that remade it. Uh, 
All right, well, anyway, I can't find anything, but it is a really good song, Serious in Nature, and it's been, you know, played and put in music or, or movies and whatnot. So it is definitely uh, something that has been played over the year. Over the years, I'm sure that uh, most of you are probably familiar with that song. But it is a very good song, very excellent, worth playing, uh, worth listening to. If you haven't given that song a listen in quite a while, I definitely, once again, obviously I think you should give every song that I'm discussing today a listen to because they are all worth going back and listening to. Every single one of them, because I have said that they are great songs. Therefore, you know for a fact that they are great songs. And every single one of them is definitely worth playing. And the next song I'm going to talk about is a song by Michael Damien. It was a cover of a song that was released in 1971, I believe. It is Rock On by Michael Damien. He um, had sort of an interesting career. He had a family band that he was in. They released two self-titled out titled albums, one in 75 and one in 79. And in 1981, he appeared on American Bandstand to support his first debate cover, a song called She Did It. Um, I have no idea where it landed or anything like that. But then he appeared on... Um, the Young and the Restless for many years, where he played a struggling singer. And he did that for quite a while. And then he was also on The Facts of Life. And he um, apparently played two separate characters on The Facts of Life, which is sort of interesting. And then after uh, 12 years of being on The Young and the Restless, he was on Broadway in Andrew Lloyd Webber's and Tim Rice's musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But the thing that he sort of remembered from, from my childhood, was the remake of the song Rock On, which was from the soundtrack from the movie Dream a Little Dream that starred the two Corys. That would be Corey Haim and the other Corey, who I can't think of his name. Corey Feldman! Yes, Corey Feldman! And he uh, did the song that was from the soundtrack for that. Got quite a bit of airplay back in the day. Um, I'm not sure where it actually charted. Oh, well, look at that. It charted at number one on the Hot 100. So it obviously charted quite well uh, if it hit number one. And then it looks like since that time he has uh, been in some Hallmark films and Wrote some music for various Hallmark films and whatnot. Um, it's really interesting because if you go and listen to his version versus the original version, they're they're very very similar yet very very different at the same time. Um, it's it's difficult to put my finger on how something can be similar and yet different, other than the fact that I guess it is you know fifteen years and a difference in music. Uh, perhaps, and synthesizers and whatnot. I don't know. But it's definitely a a good song. So, you know, uh, go and, once again, give it a listen. Um, that movie, Dream a Little Dream, if I remember correctly, was about Corey Haim's character, I believe. Spoilers. Trying to go and get his driver's license or something like that. Uh, I believe he did eventually get his driver's license. So, there is that. And next I am going to move to 
a song called by a little band called sorry i'm i got a new setup here guys and things aren't i'm not quite as used to things yet as i need to be and the next song is lunatic fringe by the band red rider um one of the reason that song uh, just means a lot to me is as a wrestler in the 1980s every single wrestler loved the Matthew Modine movie, Vision Quest, and this was the song from that movie. It is especially there at the end when Matthew Modine's character goes and beats the guy that hadn't like lost a wrestling match in like 57, well, he was probably 17, uh, but he did end up beating the fella. It's uh, interesting. Now, I will say there there is sort of a cringy part to the movie. Um, I'm not going to go into that because this is not a movie about cr- or a show uh, episode about cringe, but there is definitely a cringe thing at it. Now the guitarist who wrote the song and sang it, Tom Cochran um, says that uh, he actually wrote it about some anti-Semitism that was going on in the seventies in his home country of Canada or Canada, as people call it that don't know my son who's tricked your brain into always calling it Canada. Um, and then Tom Cochran actually went on to had a solo song, uh, life is a highway, which I believe was a one hit wonder in the 1990s. So in a way he's had two one hit wonders, one in a band and of course a solo one hit wonder. Um, but when I hear the song, I of course always think of the movie vision quest. It's just a movie that has a lot of sentimental value as a wrestler. Um, and then also, I have a hard time because at some point in my life, the first line is lunatic fringe. I know you're out there. And somewhere along the lines, I started singing it, learn to speak, learn to speak French. And so I have a difficult time sometimes not singing it as learn to take French. But, you know, that's what happens when you get something stuck in your brain and then it's just forever stuck in your brain. Um, however... I still find it to be a particularly enjoyable song, and I will continue to uh, put it on my 1980s playlists for the rest of my life. And moving on, the next song I'm going to talk about is one that has no lyrics. It's an instrumental. It's actually an electronic instrumental. And if you were around in the 80s, you probably have an idea of what I am talking about. Because there are sort of two that came out at the same time. One was from Miami Vice, and then the other one is from Beverly Hills Cop. And that is Axel F., which was the theme from that movie. It was performed by Harold Faltermeyer. And that has also, I believe, been used in quite a bit of quite a bit of stuff but everybody knows of it it's the dun 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 anyway um it's quite catchy uh brings back sort of a lot of stuff beverly hills cop uh came out when i believe i was in sixth grade and maybe in between sixth and seventh grade somewhere around there Anyway, that was a movie that, um, according to my mother, I was not allowed to watch, which of course meant any time I was staying the night at a friend's house, we watched Beverly Hills Cop. 
I'm not entirely sure why my mom didn't want me to watch it, other than the fact that Eddie Murphy was in there, and I believe that she may have already seen Eddie Murphy Raw with my dad, and that probably had something to do with it. However, the song Axel F is it's incredibly catchy. If you go and listen to it, it's going to be stuck in your head for a couple days. It will put an earworm in there. But once again, it is definitely worth going and giving a listen to. It's a fantastic instrumental version uh, or an instrumental of a song. Definitely uh, go and give it. Okay, the next song is Lady in Red by Krista Berg. This is an incredible love song. Uh, interesting note, I just discovered that my the lead singer of my wife's favorite band, Blue October, this is his favorite song. Um, and I can see why. It is a very good song. It is an incredible, incredible love song. It is about somebody that just loves this woman. She's wearing a red dress. She's They're dancing, and he's just talking about, you know, this woman in this red dress is freaking amazing. I love her. She's the greatest woman in the history of the world. And I'm glad that I am the one that is with her. Um, it is it is quite interesting. However, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Neil Norman of The Independent argued in 2006, only James Blunt has managed to come up with a song more irritating than Krista Berg's Lady in Red. The Berg... <laughs> But DeBerg has claimed that the song has brought many a famous person to tears, including uh, Princess Diana, Fergie, and so that is funny. Um, let's see, that it takes a heart of stone to listen to Lady in Red and not laugh. So that's funny. Apparently there are people that do not like that song as much as I do. Or the lead singer of Blue October. That is actually, I do find that kind of funny. <sighs> just, you know, that's, I guess that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And the next song is a little song <laughs> that came out when I was in sixth grade. I remember this song precisely. Uh, one of the sixth grade teachers was a gentleman and he found this song incredibly funny. I don't know, whatever it was, he enjoyed it. But the song is by Tim Buck Three and it is called The Future's So Bright I Gotta Wear Shades. It's almost kind of a comical song, in a way. Um, however, I don't know. I just always have fond memories of listening to that song. I know that in terms of being world beaters or great songs or a classic song, it's never going to be like, you know, a song that everyone is going to love, but Ironically enough, everybody thinks that the song is about, you know, things are going so well for a person that he's got to wear shades, but the song is actually about surviving a nuclear holocaust. And that's why you got to wear shades. So I guess that's why it is kind of funny now looking back on it, but it does always bring a, bring a nice uh, bit of memory, nostalgia when I hear that song. Occasionally, you never really hear it played on 80s stations anymore or uh, it's never really in movies or tv shows but it did peak in the u.s billboard hot 100 at 19 so there is that certainly an interesting song and of course finding out later on that it is in fact about surviving the nuclear holocaust <laughs> kind of changes the meaning of that song 
But at the time, back when I was in sixth grade, I had no idea that that was, in fact, what the song was about. And we all loved it. Every last one of us. Just, I don't, well, maybe not every last one of us. It was a popular song. Most of the kids in my school, we all thought it was a great song. We all loved listening to it. We played it. And, of course, back in the day, you know, you didn't have streaming services. If you wanted to have a song, and you your parents would more easily buy you a blank cassette than they would a seat or a cassette of whatever the singer was because they could buy the blank cassette for like two bucks and the cool thing about it was you know you would have to sit there and wait for it to get played on the radio push record and hope that at the end of the song they let the song play to the end or the dj did not talk over the end of it or it wasn't a case where it was a quick fade out and a quick fade into the song afterwards um you kiddos now don't understand what we had to go through back in the day if we liked a song. Uh, it took some work. It took some work, my friends. So anyway, moving on to the next song. It is a little song by a musician named Rockwell. Uh, that was his stage name. And the song is Somebody's Watching Me. Now, the interesting thing about Rockwell is his dad is the founder of Motown, Barry Gordy. Uh, his actual name is Kennedy William Gordy. And the one song that he's really sort of known for is Somebody's Watching Me. And the most amazing thing about that song is who the singer on the chorus is singing with him, and that is one Mr. Michael Jackson. That's right. He got Michael Jackson to sing on there. And I am going to assume that that is probably because Michael Jackson may have felt that he owed Barry Gordy for the Jackson 5 being played and all of that stuff. I don't know. Um, it says here they were childhood friends, which would make sense. And also, Michael's lesser-known brother, Jermaine, also sings backup, but he is not in the music video. So that would explain why I did not realize that... Uh, Jermaine Jackson is in there. But according to what I'm reading now, we can all rest assured in the knowledge that Tito Jackson was not a part of of the recording. Friend of the podcast, Tito Jackson. Now, the one thing that uh, Rockwell did, one of the reasons why he chose the stage name Rockwell is because he did not want it to appear have the appearance of nepotism because his dad is Barry Gordy. So... If you want to, I guess, do that, you fake a name. He secured the record deal without his dad's knowledge. And um, he chose it because he believed that he rocked well. There you go. Let's see. It was re-released for the first time ever in tw early 2021 to streaming services. That is a long time to wait for what is essentially a one-hit wonder. Um, however, in the U.S., Top 100 peaked at 15. R&B peaked at 5. Uh, the Australians did not like it. It only peaked at 99. And it appears that the uh, British weren't fans either because its highest was only 56. Canadians liked it more. It peaked at 39. I'm sorry, 34. But anyway, yeah. Uh, catchy tune. Uh, it will give you an opportunity to hear Michael Jackson being a backing vocal for someone that you don't 
expect Michael Jackson to be a backing vocal for. So there is that exciting song. And definitely uh, worth... I, well, obviously, I think all of these damn songs are worth going back and listening to, as I stated earlier. And I keep repeating myself, partially because I don't have anyone to bounce anything off of. So I am just repeating myself over and over. And this song is last, but certainly not least. It has been mentioned in a music of episode or music before. It was a honorable mention. And there's a dog barking in the background. Anyway, this last song is Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. And the song is What I Am. Came out in 1988 from the album Shooting Rubber Bands at the Stars, which is a great name for a freaking album. Let's be honest. Uh, the album is a mixture of rock, folk, blues, and jazz. They did have a second album that came out in 1990 called Ghost of a Dog. Um, but Edie Brickell, which is kind of important because it's Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, she left the band when she married singer-songwriter Paul Simon, which, of course, if you've listened to previous episodes that that is on, you know that I was happy when she married Paul Simon. So anyway, yeah, the song is, uh, I don't know. I've just always loved that phrase, I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know if you know what I mean. Um, I've just always liked that phrase, thought it was catchy. And obviously, it's a, it's a catchy song. It's probably been in all sorts of crap here. Let's see. Recent Activity. Uh, it was on Stranger Things. Uh, it's been in an episode of Cold Case. It was in Ugly Betty. And it was in Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later. And in 2013, it was covered by the pop-punk band Bowling for Soup on the album Lunch Drunk Love. Which is weird, because I think I said Bowling for Soup earlier. I don't know. I can't remember. My uh, brain is a little foggy at the moment. The album peaked at number four on U.S. charts. And on the U.S. Hot 100, it peaked at number seven in the U.S., uh, the UK, it peaked at 31. In Australia, they liked it much better than they did the Rockwell song because this one peaked at 18 in Australia. Once again, I have brought up friend of the podcast, Edie Brickell. Um, if she would ever want to be a guest on the podcast, I am not going to turn that down. So if anyone out there knows Edie Brickell, um, please inform her of my podcast and tell her that it would be amazing if she were to guest on the podcast. I appreciate everybody tuning in. I know this is a slightly shorter episode than I normally do. However, I am by myself and just sort of with this last month of everything that has gone on, I just really didn't have time to set up having a guest to come and talk with me. I just felt I needed to get in and get it recorded so that I could get it edited and put out there for everybody. I am hoping that I can at least get a good chunk of April recorded and get it edited and out and keep kept up with a uh, all new material recording schedule. Um, however, I am going to be away from home for a week. It is related to why I was gone before. It requires me being out of the state. I am going to try to, uh, I'm going to have my laptop with me. And I should have access to recording equipment. 
So I'm, I may be able to record while I'm away. I'm just not sure at the moment. Anyway, I appreciate everybody tuning in. If you would like to donate to a worthwhile charity, you can donate to Service Dog Project in Massachusetts. They provide service dogs that just happen to be Great Danes for people that need, well, service dogs, obviously. Uh, It's a great charity. Helps out a lot of people. So if you want to donate to that, you can go to www.servicedogproject.org. That being said... We all know that I fell at this, but it's still something that I try to to do. And uh, remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud. And I will catch you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.